So over the next five to six weeks, we're going to look at these different characters, men and women of faith who walked with God. And hopefully as we do it, we're hopefully going to learn some lessons through them. That's the plan at least. But also as we get into some of these stories, with many of them, we will begin to see, in fact, they'll be pointing us to, to one person, to the person of Jesus Christ. Because these smaller stories are actually part of a much bigger story. The big story of how God loves this world and how God loves you. We're going to start with a guy called Abraham. Some of you may have heard of him before. Some of you may have read a bit about him before. But for 80 years, Abraham has been waiting for a son. Now, the pain of of just waiting for a child can be devastating. In fact, only those who have truly known what it is to be so desperate and really long for a child know something of perhaps what Sarah and Abraham were going through in that moment. And yet, in the most miraculous of ways, at the age of 100, God provided a son. And Abram's wife, Sarah, became pregnant when it was physically impossible for her to become pregnant because of her age, this truly was a miraculous baby. But we want to pick up this story in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, when God comes to Abraham and God asks Abraham to give up on his dreams, in fact, to give up on his future hopes, The truth is, if Abraham chooses to obey God in this moment, everything will change. All those promises may be gone. So let's read. If you turn your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22, it's going to read a few verses, and then we're going to just walk through. So leave your Bibles open as we, we go through this. So verse one, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now we can read that little bit of scripture and we can just completely overlook all the pain and just this emotional turmoil that that poor old Abraham is going through. Yet, you'll notice, he does exactly what God tells him to do without actually any apparent hesitation or complaint or argument or questioning. Truth is, very, very few of us follow Abram's example and step out in faith the way in which Abram steps out in faith here. Now, there may be many reasons why we do that, why we struggle to really listen to God or even hear from God. And and again, it may be different for different people, but perhaps one of the reasons why some of us don't do it is because we are arguers. We prefer to argue with God rather than just to listen or to obey Him. So we, we, we get this in work sometimes. 
So sometimes I'm an optician, by the way, for those who, who don't know it, it's my day job. And uh, so these guys will come in and often they come in with a, with a pair of broken glasses that look as if they've been completely um, ran over by a steamroller. They're just an absolute basis. And they walk in up to the counter, they plunk them on the counter and they say, I opened my case this morning and they just disintegrated in front of my eyes. I've barely even worn them. We go on to the, we go, yeah, it's very, so we, we go on to the computer and we discover that they are, they're over five years old, so as we gently remind them that these probably are not that new, in fact, they've probably been worn quite a lot, at that point, of course, the person explodes and the argument begins. And some of us would prefer to argue with God rather than to obey you know exactly what you should be doing. You know your Bibles maybe pretty well. You know exactly what God is telling you to do, but actually you prefer to argue. Instead of obeying, you want to justify your disobedience than just simply obey. Little tip. If you want to pick a fight with someone, don't pick a fight with God. He is the God who is almighty. He is in control of everything in this world, the omnipotent creator of everything. He's not the person to pick a fight with you have lost before you've even begun. You can't tell him something that he has never heard. You cannot shock him or surprise him or sneak up on him in any way, okay? He is God. He is always right, and it will save you a lot of pain and a lot of heartache if you simply listen and pray. There are other people, and the reason why they don't hear from God is, is because they know it all. Can we get these people in work too sometimes? They've read a little article on the internet or in the newspaper, and within five minutes, they have become experts on a chosen subject of eye care. <laughs> so, I'm, whew, it's great enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as they, and so, so, so they come in and they're, they're talking, so they come in and they've already diagnosed their eye problem. They come in and they explain exactly what's wrong with them. All they need me to do is just write a referral letter and just sort out the problem for them. In fact, they're quite happy to even dictate it if, if I would let them do so. Truth is, again, some of us think we know better than God. We use the phrase, I'll do it my way. Not God's way, I'm going to do it my way. Today we sort of call that being strong-willed. The Bible calls it sin. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, it tells us in, in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the book of Genesis, that God created this world perfectly. But Adam and Eve, they chose to go their way. They chose actually to believe a lie and they rebelled against God and sin came into this world. And this, this problem of sin and problem of pride is one of the greatest reasons why many of us struggle to hear from God. And sin can be a huge blockage to us hearing what God is saying to us. Truth is, even if God was to write in big letters right across the sky or to shout out to us, some of you simply would not hear because you're in love with other things much more than you are in love with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Perhaps the third reason why 
some of us don't hear. And that is very simply, we just don't listen. Now, I'm guilty of this, got to confess. After we got married, um, Rachel would sometimes send me off to the supermarket to do the shopping. So I would be heading out through the door, and nearly without fail, as I'm heading out through the door, my mind's already on other things. I'm thinking about where I'm going to park. I'm thinking about, you know, maybe oh, fancy some chocolate, nice bar of chocolate. <laughs> and, and, and my mind's already just focusing on that chocolate aisle, thinking, where am I going to go? And, and this, she says to me, Don't, can you remember to bring me in some butter and, and maybe some extra tea bags and some yogurts? Now, I'm sort of half listening, but I'm thinking chocolate. Oh, and, and, and so I, I jump in the car. Within two seconds, I've just completely forgotten everything she's saying. Now, she shouts after me. Now, Keith, you won't forget, will you? I said, no problem. Yeah, it'll be fine. Off I go. Do the shopping. Linger. Probably a little bit too long in the chocolate aisle, if I'm honest. But I find a lovely bar of chocolate. I come back. I come back home. We're within about two minutes of unpacking all this shopping. Rachel says to me, where's the butter? Tea bags? You haven't bought any yogurts home. And then, and then she asked me the, this question. Were you not listening to me? Now, we've done a little bit of marriage preparation <laughs> with, uh, with Paul and Beck getting married in, 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 a few, in, in a few months' time. So we're chatting that. One thing I didn't tell you, Paul, is you must never answer that question. Okay? <laughs> never answer you cannot win, okay? You cannot win if you answer that question. There is no right answer to it. In that moment, you have one hope, okay? You have one hope. It's sacrificial, I know. You reach into that bag where you've carefully hidden the chocolate, and you pull it out, and you hand it over, and you say, I'm sorry, dear, but at least I remember to get you some chocolate. It works every time. After 20 years of marriage, Rachel knows me only too well, and she will not let me leave the house without a full shopping list, a full strategy of where to tackle the shops. Nothing is left to chance any longer. That's a good wife, isn't it? Excellent. You know, when it comes to hearing from God, sometimes we just don't listen. And we come up with excuses and we say, well, God's not speaking to me. Truth is, we're simply not listening to what he's saying. In Old Testament times, it's actually fairly commonplace for people as, an Abram, as Abram did to hear from God, to hear God's audible voice speaking to them because they didn't have the Word of God like we do today. Now, it's much, much more unusual for us to hear God's audible voice speaking to us. I'm not saying it's impossible. God can speak in whatever way he chooses, but it's just not common. It's very, very unusual. And yet, we still use the phrase, I've heard God say, or God has told me. Now, that can be a little bit confusing sometimes, particularly if you're new to the Christian faith. Sometimes you're thinking, what, what do they mean by that? You know, either they think we've gone completely mad because we're hearing voices, or they think that they're not real Christians because they don't hear God's audible voice as well. So what I want to do just very practically for a moment just to say what works for me. So 
I have never actually heard God's audible voice. You may think less of me because of that. Apologies. But I haven't, okay? When I spend time in God's presence, when I believe that by the Holy Spirit and I'm spending time in the Word of God, that God does speak to me, sometimes through Scripture, but sometimes even through thoughts and ideas that, that come into my mind that just seem to direct and to guide me. But we need to create space in our day to be able to hear God, to be able to listen to His voice as He is speaking to us. And when you feel, when you feel that God has been directing you in a particular way or guiding you along a particular road, you need to do one thing, and that is to check everything that you feel God is being saying to you with Scripture. Because God is not going to say something to you that contradicts what the Bible says as well. God is not going to ask you to do something that is strictly forbidden within his word. So let me give you an extreme example. Let's say for a moment that a, a guy comes to me and says to me, Keith, you know what, there's this, this beautiful girl in work, and, and God has told me that I'm to leave my wife and move in with this girl. I can say categorically to that person, that is not God. Okay, there may be the brain working overtime or something else working overtime, but that is not God. It's not God speaking to them in that particular moment because it doesn't stack up with what, with what the Bible says. Another example, before I married Rachel, I uh, was really praying that God would give me a sign. Is this the right girl for me? I'm, I think I've shared this one before. But, uh, so I'm, I'm praying, God, please show me, is this really the right person for me to marry? So I'm praying about it. I'm spending time with God about it. The weeks, the months, the years are going past. And, and, and even my parents are getting frustrated with me. Never mind, never mind my, my, my future wife. So I'm with, I'm, I'm, I just want, you know, it's, it's, a key, it's a key decision we make in life, and it is something we don't rush into, but I'm waiting for flashing lights. I want maybe, maybe a siren of some sort. Ideally, what I really wanted was a big arrow pointing from heaven towards <laughs> Rachel with the words on it saying, this is the girl for you. That would be really helpful. But nothing, nothing, nothing came. God was strangely quiet in that moment. And then my mum comes to me and says to me, Keith, what are you doing? What are you up to? She says to me, do you, love, do you love Rachel? I says, I do, yeah, I do. She says, do, do, do you think you could spend the rest of your life with her? Is there a girl you can see spending the rest of your life with? I says, yeah, I think, yeah, it is, definitely is. Yeah, it is. Does she love Jesus? Yeah, she loves Jesus then what on earth are you waiting for? <laughs> and God can guide us sometimes in the most simple of ways. And we want the complex and we want the, the voices from heaven. And so often God is guiding us in the very simple, in the very ordinary, but God is still speaking. But you know, the primary reason in which God will speak to you today is through the Scriptures. And God has given us his word, which is written down, 66 books of it, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, 807,361 words, and yet we can still say, God 
is not speaking to me. <laughs> you get my point? God has given us his word, the inspired, the infallible word of God, and God will meet you through the pages of this book. You will encounter Jesus Christ through the pages of this book. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through this book. And if you want to hear from God and you are not spending time in the word of God and meditating on it and studying it and reading it, it is no surprise that God is not speaking to you. See, listening to God is a deliberate choice to spend time in His presence, to get rid of all the busyness and the noise out of your life, but also to spend time with God's Word, to read it, to digest it. King David, author of most of the books of the Psalms, writes, let the morning bring the, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Now, whether you choose mornings, mornings are great because it's just before the business of the day starts. So it's a great time to spend time with God. But whether maybe you're an evening person, it doesn't matter what part of the day that you choose. The important point is that you will not truly hear from God if you do not become saturated with his word and listen by the power of his Holy Spirit. So make time for it. Make it a priority. Study it. Teach it to your children. Memorize it. Love it. And as you spend time in God's presence, as you begin to hear from God, faith grows within you. Just with Abraham, as he heard from God, faith grows. It's the first step in growing in faith. Let's get back to our Bibles. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now Abraham, he leaves his servants behind, but significantly he says to them, we will return. See, before Abraham had, had even walked up the side of that mountain, his expectations was, was that he was going to come back down again with his son. I don't think for a moment he knew exactly how that was going to happen, but he did know God, and he knew that God had promised that through his son, a great nation one day would be born. And even though it didn't make sense to Abraham in that moment, because if he sacrificed his son, it meant just removing all of his dreams completely. But Abraham knew the promises of God, and God had never failed him. Key thing is this. Abraham does not put his hope in his son he puts his hope in God. He could very easily have said, you know, if I just protect my son, then, you know, then, then those problems will definitely come through. No, he 
puts his hope in God, and God is the God of the impossible. You see, faith comes, it's not just from hearing, but it's actually by believing the promises of God. So listen to me for a moment. If you put your hope in anything else other than in the unchangeable, rock-solid promises and power of God, you will fall. Your hope It's not in your spouse, it's not in your boy or girlfriend, it's not in your family, it's not in your job, it's not in any one of other things that you could think of. These things may come and they may go, and listen, if they go, what have you got left? If you haven't put your hope in God. And put your hope in the only one who does not change, who gives absolute security, who loves you unconditionally, Put your hope in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 6. And Abram took the wood and the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both, so both of them went together. You can't help but wonder how Abraham must have felt in that moment when his son asks him and calls to him confused and questioning over the issue of the missing lamb. See, to walk all that way and forget about the lamb, the very purpose for their journey is at best bad planning. At worst, it's really unthinkable. Yet Abraham again shows his trust in God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 sort of helps to shed some light of perhaps what's going through Abram's mind in that moment. It says there, it says, he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, for which, figuratively speaking, he did come back. And Abram's faith allowed him to believe for a miracle. Even in the most darkest and most difficult times in your life, when, when life just seems to crowd in upon you and you just, you just cannot seem to find any way out, can I just encourage you to leave the door of faith open for a miracle? It may just be a crack, but leave it open to allow God just to perform a miracle within that situation in life. Listen, in your pain, believe God for a miracle. It may seem insanely impossible, but trust God and obey Him by His Word. And even when it just cuts deep, it seems crazy. Believe that God can and does do the miraculous. But faith only becomes genuine when it's lived out requires you to step out. The book of James, New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 20, says, you foolish person, 
Do you have evidence that faith without deeds is useless? The message translation puts it like this. Do you suppose that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? You cannot separate faith from works, faith from action. They go together. James goes on in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And faith is only faith when it's lived out. Abraham trusted in God, and it was God's grace that confirmed his faith through his action. See, nobody accidentally becomes a man or woman of faith. You don't just sort of stumble into godliness or sort of fall into faith. That's not the way it works. In fact, it requires effort. It requires a heart that seeks after God, that hears from God. But human effort alone in itself is still not going to be enough. And we be careful in all of this talk about action that we don't step outside of grace and try to earn what Jesus has already given to us freely through his death on the cross. It's only the grace of God that enables us and the power of the Holy Spirit within us that actually will enable you to step out in faith to begin to believe even for a miracle in your situation, in your life at this moment. But it requires a grace-driven effort, a grace-driven effort that will prove and that will show that faith is real. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, to, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and led him on that altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter, to kill his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And this is a wonderful story, is it not? Well, this story confirms 
Abraham's faith, but also his fear of God. But it also shows us the grace and the faithfulness of God, a God who will provide. And it is just the most glorious picture, a foreshadowing of the grace and the love of God that all of Scripture is pointing to. So in verse 14, it says, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. In fact, there are two prophetic pictures from this one statement. God's provision on that mountain, that mountain which one day would become the location of the temple of Jerusalem, recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And that temple would be a place of worship of God where folks would come to meet with God one day. But there's a much greater, much more amazing picture contained within that little phrase. I guess the person who is most thankful for that ram was probably a young boy called Isaac. He owed his life to the lamb who died in his place. He was helpless, but God provided. And this surely is a picture of Jesus' redeeming work for each one of you on the cross. See, because of your sin, you are in exactly the same predicament that Isaac was. Because of the things that we have done wrong, because of the things that we have said, sometimes we actually deserve God's punishment. We deserve his righteous anger. And our efforts, our good deeds, no matter how hard we try, it's never going to save us. But God has provided a lamb to take your punishment. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, he never sinned. He fulfilled the scriptures in perfect obedience to his Father. And yet he was unjustly treated. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was sentenced to death in the most horrific of ways. And although he was completely innocent of any crime, he still hung on a wooden cross. And there he died. And the demand for sacrifice and the provision of that sacrifice by God go hand in hand. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Listen, that is why Jesus had to die. There was no other way. It was either him or you. And either by faith you accept Jesus and life, or you face eternal death and hell alone. But God has made a way. Because God so loved this world that he sent his son Jesus, that he provided a lamb. John 3, 16. Ephesians 2, verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And God has made a way that our hearts can be changed. It's not through hard work. It's not through religion. It's not through self-effort. It is through Jesus Christ. But actually what so many of us try to do is that we try to fight sin in our own strength. 
We think if we could just try a little bit harder, we try and deal with it all by ourselves in our own power. But actually what we end up doing is fighting sin with another sin. We sort of stack them up one against the other. We end up this fight trying to tackle one sin with another sin. Now to explain what I mean by that, I want to just give you two examples that I've sort of borrowed slash stolen, taken anyway, from a pastor, a writer, a guy called Matt Chandler. And the first example is primarily for men, and the second one maybe primarily for women. Now, we don't want to stereotype people, of course, but there's always going to be overlaps within this. But one, one of the things that many men of all ages struggle with is the whole issue of lust, and, and maybe leading to things like pornography. It's not true of every man, but it can be a big issue, certainly much more of a problem for men more so than for, for women. So what tends to happen when someone's struggling with this temptation of lust? They try and fight it so they, with their own will and their own part. They think, I can just deal with this in my life. So, so they, they create a little boxing ring. You imagine one corner of the ring, we've got lust. On the other corner of the ring, we've got self-righteousness. The bell goes and the fight begins. But whoever wins, sin wins every time. Sin wins every time. Now, women are probably much more complex creatures than us men. Um, and again, we cannot stereotype, but Matt describes how he asked a number of women what maybe might be an equivalent thing that may affect women maybe slightly more so than men. And they all came up with fear and anxiety. Now, again, it's true of many men as well, of course. But for women, it can be a huge problem. So in one corner of the ring, they put fear and anxiety. In the other corner of the ring, they put control and manipulation. So what tends to happen is that as she becomes anxious, either because of the situations within life or because of her husband or because of the family situation or because of, of anything else, she puts fear up against control and manipulation. So she ends up trying to control circumstances or trying to, to manipulate situations just to alleviate fear. And then when she realizes that actually that she's becoming con controlling and maybe manipulative, she then ends up just living with anxiety and fear within her life. And actually, whatever happens, either way around, whoever wins, guess what? Guess who wins? Sin wins every single time. It might be a great fight, but it always ends up with the same result. Sin ends up winning. It's such a popular game that many of us have done. We can come up, I'm sure, with different examples from our own lives of how we pit one sin up against the other sin. The only problem is we try to put sin to death in our own strength, and we put one sin against the other. Who wins? Sin wins, and you lose. That is why we must go back to the cross of Jesus. To the Lamb of God who was provided for us. He paid the huge price for sin with his own blood. He died once and for all for your sin and for mine so that we must come to him by faith, repenting of our sins. That word simply means we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ. We must repent also of our religious attitudes and we ask Jesus to come and to forgive us and to make us clean. 
And by his grace and in the power of his spirit, sin can be put to death. And you can try as hard as you want. You can try and pit one sin against another sin. You can be devoted. You can even be pretty religious and as religious as much as you want. But it will not change the problem within your life, the problem of our hearts. Only Jesus Christ can change your heart. That is why we need Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we need to be brought from darkness into light. In Ephesians, it tells us we need to be brought from spiritual death into spiritual life. This is a supernatural heart change. It's not done by your own effort. It's not done by trying a little bit harder. It is only and always through faith in Jesus. It is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus calls being born again. And there may be people here this morning and you have never allowed Jesus to really change your heart. And perhaps today is the day of new beginnings. The day when God is going to come and just change and transform your life. It may be for the first time, but there's also be people here, and maybe you've been Christian for a Christian for many, many years, and you're still trying to tackle your sin or those, those habitual sins by putting one up against the other. Does it work? No, it doesn't. You need to come back to the cross of Jesus to the forgiveness that he bought with his very own blood because there, there is power and there, there is forgiveness. In fact, there, there is hope. You have one hope. His name is Jesus. The one who died for you and rose again. I want to bring you to him. I want to introduce you to him if you do not know him already. Or if you've drifted away from him, I want to say, go back to him. Go back to the cross of Jesus because that is where you're going to find your hope and your forgiveness Absolutely. and you're going to find your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. I want to encourage you to live as Abram lived with faith, to be hearers, to be believers to trust in God, even for the seemingly impossible, to leave the door open for a miracle within your life, whether it be for salvation, whether it be for healing, whether it just be for that situation that you're struggling with at this moment, Jesus Christ is the answer. He is your hope. As we've been praying this, I've just been just conscious, it's talking a lot about listening and hearing and just really felt God talked about just open ears. And I want to just pray in a moment for two things, both, both for spiritual ears to be opened, to hear God's voice, but also maybe even for physical ears to be opened. We believe that God is a God who heals, who touches people today. So I want to just encourage you to stand together as we bring things to a close. I'm going to pray in a second. And I want to pray, first of all, that 
spiritual ears will be open. I want to ask you if you feel comfortable, you can do this. You don't have to if you don't want to, but perhaps if you want to just pop your one hand or over, over one of your ears and we're going to pray. And uh, we're just going to ask God by his spirit just to come and just to, to open ears to his voice, perhaps into a specific situation. Maybe there's an issue you need to be dealt with specifically. And so, Father, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, just come right now and just unblock ears. Lord, for those times we have struggled to hear, Lord, Father, I want to pray, Lord, for by your Spirit, Lord, just reveal any, any sins and issues Lord, that need to be repented of. And Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, forgive us. But Lord, sometimes, Lord, just we're just struggling to hear, Lord. I pray, Father, in your precious name, Lord, just come by your Spirit right now and bring healing. And Lord Jesus, just open ears, spiritual ears, Lord, to be opened. Jesus' name. I want to also pray then if you're struggling perhaps with an ear problem. Again, again, if you've, you pop your hand over that ear that's troubling you, maybe both ears, whatever. Um, and I want to pray just that God would do a miracle right now. Father, we look to you as the God who heals. And we want to pray, Lord, in the physical as we've prayed in the spiritual. Lord, I pray, Father, for ears to be open, Lord, for deaf ears to hear in the name of Jesus. Lord, for ears that are blocked, Lord, to be opened in the name of Jesus. Father, I want to pray, Lord, just for the miracle power of your hand to be at work, Lord, across these people gathered today. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for a miracle to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.